Welcome back to the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. My name is Brad Cooper. I'll be your host. And we're going to take a little different angle today. Over the initial episodes, we, we focused on talking with coaches, getting their experience, finding out about the National Health and Wellness Board exam, looking at the idea of the evidence-based coach, not falling for the fads and what the research says and how we can apply that to our coaching practice. Today, we're going to take a look at the employee side. We're going to be interviewing a gentleman by the name of Steve Percival. He's been in healthcare, human resources, for 38 years. He knows this stuff. He has an MBA from Wright State University. In addition to all of that, he also spent 21 years serving on the Board of Education in his community, including the president's role for nine years from 1999 to 2008. So Steve's going to give us a perspective from the employer's side of things and give you a chance as a coach, health and wellness coach, or a future one, to get a sense of what does that look like? What's important to an employer? Where does coaching play a role? So with that, let's go ahead and jump in. As always, I'll come back at the end with some summary concepts and practical application. Sit back, enjoy, and let's dive in with Steve Percival. Well, Steve, thanks for joining us on the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. Great perspective, a little different than we've had in the first few episodes. We're going to be talking more about the employer's perspective this time and how that relates to coaching. So first of all, you've overseen a variety of employee wellness programs. What are your general thoughts about the integration of wellness coaching into those different models, and when is it most effective? Well, first of all, thanks for asking me to join, Brad. Wellness coaching is a such a key element to the entire wellness uh, picture that I'd, I'm glad to have the opportunity to kind of give some feedback as to what worked and, and what hasn't worked for us. And so, you know, in my view, wellness coaching is an integral part of the three-legged stool where you have internal infrastructure wellness coach or in uh, wellness ambassador kind of mindset within the organization. And then you have a support infrastructure, system infrastructure, technology, and then you have wellness coaching. And absent the effective wellness coach, that's the human element of the other two that allows the accountability to begin to settle in and allows people to understand that it's bigger than just creating this program that you have to participate in in order to get credit. It's actually about making a difference, and the wellness coaches are really good at allowing that personal interaction to create some personal accountability and some personal uh, buy-in to the program as it stands. And so I I can't imagine an effective wellness program uh, in an employer setting that didn't include effective coaching. Now, you've worked with some. You've been doing this a long time. I did your introduction here so they know about your background. You've had some employee wellness programs that you've bumped up against in the past that don't include the coaching. Talk a little bit about what your experience was with those. Well, there are as many wellness programs and wellness vendors out there as there are uh, Google searches that you can do, and so they're broad and wide. The ones that uh, we were involved in or I looked into that did not involve coaching became dependent on things that really didn't make a difference when it came to moving the needle on wellness of the employees. And they tended to be technology heavy and is more click the box and check the box and check the, the things that I've done and get my blood drawn and, and is more of a technological accomplishment than it was a true moving the needle on my own personal wellness. And so that's to me, the difference, it adds the personal touch, it adds the ability to interact and, and have a dynamic experience between the wellness program and the individual employee, which happens through the wellness coach. When it comes to the executive team, 
they're the ones that have to pay for this. And coaching's not cheap. It's the most expensive component to any wellness program, really, if you break it into pieces. Any advice for those coaches out there that might be approaching companies and trying to get the interest and they are bumping up against the, well, yeah, sounds great, but we, we, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. Any suggestions or ideas that they might try in that situation? Well, you probably hit upon the most challenging aspect of, of getting a wellness program integrated into, into an employer organization because it is a cost issue for many executives. And, and when it comes down to it, it's all about return on investment. And it's all about the ability of the coaches to be able to demonstrate to the employer that they can truly make a difference in a lot of different ways, both hard dollars and soft dollars. And when it comes to creating an environment where people are healthier for a number of reasons, but I think at the end of the day, there has to be some mechanism to be able to demonstrate hard dollar ROI savings that at least pay for the coaching or at least pay for the program, if not more. And that gets people's attention. And it's easy to do because it works and it's effective and done right. You can work with the insurance companies to create a baseline of wellness or baseline of several different metrics of gauges and measures of your employee's population's health and then measure over time. But it does take a leap of faith on the executive's part, and it requires some effort on the coach's part to actually make things happen because there has to be buy-in. And it has to be buy-in by the executive team, it has to be buy-in by the coaches, and it has to be buy-in by the employees. And that's all kind of a dynamic process. It only happens if people are working together for the same goal. Let's talk about dimensions of wellness. I know that was an area that you were a big fan of. You helped create some of those concepts. What about integrating the dimensions was interesting to you or valuable to you as an organization? And how could a wellness coach support this concept of dimensions of wellness? Well, actually, to me, the, the dimensions, if you come up with five, six, seven dimensions of wellness, it actually enhances the coach's ability to, to move the needle on an employee, engagement, satisfaction, wellness, whatever, however you want to measure it, because it allows you to focus on things other than just health. And I think there's a misconception out there that employee wellness just focuses on somebody's physical condition and their, you know, what their cholesterol level is and their A1C and all that kind of stuff. And it's not that at all. It's about the employee's ability to be productive in society and, and be a productive member of the employee organization. And I think that if you can create five or six dimensions that allow you to measure that uh, slice and dice a couple different ways, stratify wellness a couple different ways, then it gives the coaches much more flexibility when it comes to goal setting with the employee and dealing with issues that the employee may not want to deal with or may want to deal with, doesn't know how, a whole bunch of different things. Because, at the, you know, bottom line, not everybody's a marathon runner and not everybody wants to go out there and work out four times a week and not everybody's going to do that. But if I can get somebody who really is comfortable in their own physical condition and they really don't want to mess with that, they really don't want to deal with that, they're comfortable with the process they have, but they have issues with financial health, they have issues with social health, they have issues with environmental health, they want to become a bigger member of the community when it comes to creating a difference in the environment, whatever. There's a number of different ways that you can get an employee engaged in his or her wellness that goes far beyond uh, physical wellness. And if you can... If you can create that as part of the infrastructure of the wellness program at the employer population, then at that point, not only do you have a much more engaged employee when it comes to things they can get involved in, but it gives the employee much more engagement to the employer by allowing the employee to meet those needs through the employer, which creates loyalty and all those other things and creates a more productive employee 
and it has lots of the soft dollar effects. It reduces absenteeism. It reduces turnover, as well as if you can get them to touch on physical wellness. And at that point, then you have uh, some real differences made in the health plan costs as well. So it, it, it adds more tools to the wellness coach's tool belt. In my view, if you can create dimensions that matter as much as physical wellness, but extend far beyond just how many push-ups you can do. Did you find there were certain of those dimensions that caught the employees by surprise that it was part of, in quotes, wellness? Yeah, I think I think we did. I think as much surprise as appreciation because we had we, we had seven, and they did include things like financial wellness. They had some spiritual and emotional wellness, which is kind of tricky when you're dealing with some secular organizations, but you don't want to get into preaching a particular faith, but you can certainly talk about spiritual wellness that goes far beyond a particular religion. And you can talk about environmental so and social things. And, and, and a lot of employees, after they began to understand that they can get equally focused on those things as they could on making sure their cholesterol was in some normal range, that they really began to appreciate the ability of the wellness program to steer their, help them steer their lives to a point where they wanted to do it. We had people that were able to get themselves out of debt. We had people who, who found the ability to get involved in social causes that they didn't even know existed. You know, we had people that, that were really interested in doing certain things, but they just didn't have the ability to get off the couch and do it, and they just didn't know where to turn. And, and having this coaching capacity to talk people through what it is you really want to make a difference doing, how do you really want to change yourself and, and those environmental things around you that you can, and let's talk through that. Let's set a goal. So, you know, by the end of next month or by the time we talk next, you'll have made these phone calls. You'll have made these visits. You'll have gone to see these people. You'll have accomplished these goals. And then the employee knows that there's some accountability to somebody who really supports them. That that Those are the things that move the needle. Those are the things that really make a difference in an employee's life. And, and again, it just broadened their scope and it created a much more robust feeling of appreciation to the employer for the coaching who's able to get them involved in things that they really are interested in. So if I'm hearing you right, you're describing a model that is different than historical wellness model where it's just for the high-risk people. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Brad, because you certainly can focus on the people who are morbidly obese or the people that have five or six comorbidities, and the insurance company are really good at pointing them out, and all you got to do is walk down the hall, and you could probably identify a bunch of them. And the, that's bottom line. That's where the money is. So as a coach, you need to come up and make sure you have some strategies to be able to help those people. But that's 10% of the population. What about the other 90% of the people that really are interested in, in making a difference? You can get as much movement in whatever metric you're measuring out of 90% of the people who really don't need to move the needle much versus the 10% who do. And so it's it's you got to be able to capture everybody, and you, you have to be able to make sure – and again, you have to separate, and I get a little cynical, which you may find hard to believe, but I do, but you know, you have to separate the marketing people who are just focused on, I can lower your health claim costs, I can do X, I can accomplish Y. It doesn't matter. Wellness should never be approached as a mechanism to just save money. Wellness has to be approached as a mechanism to create a healthier population amongst the, whatever employee base you're working on. And, and if you have carry that kind of vision into employer, you may have a little more difficult time selling it as an opportunity. But once it's embedded, then the change it makes in the employee population is much more robust and much more long-lasting. That's a great point. I, I remember seeing a General American Medical Association article 
oh, this is probably five, six years ago, that said 98.8% of the population falls short in one of the five basic areas of wellness. So, yeah, maybe they don't show up as being your highest risk, but we all need help. We all have areas we can work on. No one's an ex- Well, I guess 1.2% of people are, but outside of that, we all have areas we can improve in. Are there gen- And you touched on this with the dimensions of wellness, but are there other general tools or resources within a broader wellness program you've seen be beneficial to complement what's happening with the coaching? Yes. Yes, I have. There are several different ways, and, and it's an integrated approach. Wellness coaches have to be interested in helping the employee the way they can help them, but also to, for the wellness program to be effective. There has to be a robust internal mechanism to keep the, the, the wellness program alive and for the wellness coaches to know what those are and to be able to talk about them and have enough knowledge of the employer to know, well, I know you, ha- I know you guys have wellness ambassadors. I know you guys have these Couch to 5K programs. I know you guys have these other things going on. Let's talk about those. I know that I know that the next quarter you have a financial advisor coming in four times next you know to talk about uh, getting out of debt or planning for retirement those things. And so at that point there has to be this integrated approach where the wellness coaches are in contact and communication with the people running the wellness program so they know what other things are we doing to support the efforts at the wellness program so the wellness coaches are seen as a team member of the program and not somebody on the outside that just calls every every so often to talk to somebody. I mean, that can be a benefit because having that firewall allows the employees to share a lot more than they would if they were talking to somebody in the cubicle next to them. But it also creates the opportunity for the, to the you know, some employees to kind of buffalo the wellness coaches if if the they don't believe that the coaches really know what's going on. So, yeah, that communication is key. There's that the, you can't really have an effective wellness program if you don't have both. But if you have both and are working together, then that's when the synergy really begins to kick in and, and people really begin to, to appreciate it rather than see it as something they got to do. I love that uh, get-to-got-to difference. It's, that's key. So our audience, the folks listening to this, they're a range. They're, we have people that are current wellness coaches that are looking for ways to become better at their trade, become more effective, to grow their businesses, that kind of thing. We also have people that are thinking about it. They, they kind of think this sounds kind of cool. Both of those. I, I'd love to hear what you have to say to both of those folks. So what advice do you have for those who are working with clients who are participating as part of an employer setting? So it's very different than an independent client that comes to them and says, hey, I want you to be my coach. This is an employer setting. Maybe not everybody really wants to talk to them. Any advice for that group? And then we can come back to the future coaches in a moment. Yeah, and that's, that's a good point, Brad, because... It- Coaching is hard. It really is hard. And to be really good at it takes an awful lot of work. And it's not just something you can get a certificate in or not just something that you can just study for a test and take and become a coach, a good coach, because it just doesn't work that way. You have to really want to do it. You have to really be invested in helping people because, you know, I don't know what the statistics are, but I bet you 80% of the time you run into resistance. You're going to run into employees who are doing it because they have to to get a premium credit. They have to because somebody's ragging on them. They have to because they're, they have a department who they have to have 100% participation or they, and they all get a pizza or you know 
some donuts or Krispy Kremes or something or, or whatever. But you're going to run into a lot of resistance. You're going to run into people that are blowing smoke up your shorts because they, you know, last time you guys talked, they agreed they're going to start walking steps or something like that, and they didn't do it, and they don't want to lie to you, so they're going to make something up. And so it it, it is hard work. It is something that you really need to be focused on. But I think it's really important to never judge uh, your clients. Always understand and let them let them kind of guide where they want to go, what they want to do, because at the end of the day, you can't make them do anything anyway. And so I think one of the things that I have seen, at least in the cycle of coaching that I've experienced and other people have talked to me about, you, you could probably measure it on some kind of a scale where it starts out with resistance and continues with resistance. And over time, as the trust builds, the resistance is met with trust and the resistance is met with cooperation. And, and then you actually get buy-in to the point where over the course of a year or a year and a half or two years, the person that was resistant at the beginning was very is very much looking forward to the phone call next so I can tell you what I did. Because I know you're not going to judge me. I know you're probably the only one in my life that's not going to rag on me because I ate a bag of potato chips and I should have been walking around the block. But what you're going to do is help me understand how I can change to become better next time. And I think that's really key that they have that understanding that you're never going to judge them. You're never going to, you're always going to be focused on what can I do next time to become better. And that's, you know, I, I don't have that temperament. I, uh, <laughs> I'm afraid that I, my, my life as a coach would be pretty short because, um, I don't deal well with people who, who blow smoke up my shorts and, and you have to be very patient. And, uh, but if you are, if you can develop that skill, if you can create that sense of attachment to people and that sense of connection, boy, you can, you can really change people's lives. And, and I've heard it, I've seen it, I've experienced it and it's impressive. And I admire anybody who wants to become a coach and who wants to stick with it. It's, it's hard work. Then our future coaches, and you gave some advice there for future coaches, but anything you would say to the person that's on the fence, somehow they found this podcast and they're, they're thinking, yeah, I like healthy stuff. And that's kind of part of my lifestyle. I, I've had people tell me I'm a good encourager. Maybe I should look into this. Any advice or maybe warnings of things to be aware of in addition to what you just mentioned? You know, I, I was just thinking about that. I think it would be great if anybody who wants to be a coach would be required to go through coaching um, as a client. Because at that point, if they can, at that point, they begin to experience what it's like to be on the employee side of being coached. And then you can understand what you're going to run into. And if you can put up with yourself, and then you may have a chance because you're going to try to BS the coach just like everybody else does. And so if you can put up with that from the other side, then, then you have a pretty good shot at being really good. But I, I think that's you know that may be a good test to, to go through coaching yourself and see what it feels like, see what you're going to run into, see if you really have the temperament to deal with people. I don't know how many coaching calls a person, a good coach, takes in a day, but if you take 8 or 10 or 12 or whatever, then at that point then um, you're going to run into that you know, six or eight or 10 times during the course of a day. And if you can, if you can feel energized by that kind of interaction, then uh, yeah, I think you probably have a pretty good shot. Excellent. Excellent. So let's make it personal here. You've participated in the wellness program. What was your experience with your coach? Any breakthroughs, any uh, just discoveries that you had going through this process with your coach specifically? Yeah, I'm not sure I should admit to all of them, but uh, <laughs> but um, 
The one thing that that probably bothered me the most is is uh, she took really good notes, <laughs> and she had a really good memory, and it just. And and she would say, well, didn't you say this last time? I said, well, son of a gun. I, I was hoping you wouldn't remember that. But at the end of the day, um, she was able to connect in a way that, again, capitalized on those things I was talking about. She never judged, but she always said, okay, this is what we agreed to. This is what you did. What are you going to do next time to move the move the dial just a little bit going forward? Or what can we agree on that you're going to do? And and it, it's amazing. I mean, it, we all want to please people we respect, and we all want to to be probably, I don't know, acknowledged or reinforced by those people that we admire, that we have some esteem for. And the coaches end up being that person because there were times when I would do stuff probably for, I knew was good for me, but probably because I knew that the coach was going to ask about it next time. And it, it works. It, it does it, and if you can if you can establish that relationship with your clients and and uh, they know and that you care about them and you're not just trying to to check the box and then you can change people and pretty soon if you do it enough times then then behaviors become habits and habits become change and change makes a difference and at that point then that's the kind of thing and and it takes time but uh, it it works and my personal experience was that, that it did you know i she got me to do stuff that i kept telling myself i was going to do but never did and and that's really what makes a difference that's powerful remember folks this is the guy that organized the whole wellness program for thousands of people he was in charge of it. He went to bat for the budget for it, and yet he's saying to you, I knew what I needed to do, but I, I wouldn't do it necessarily. And then my coach took this whatever it was approach that worked with him that helped him move forward. So it's just another great reminder. Wellness is not information that turns into application. That's where you come in as coaches. So last question, unless we have some random thing come up, any just general guidance you give to health and wellness coaches from employers' perspective in addition to what you've shared already? I don't know. We, we kind of covered the spectrum of, of things going on here, but I'd kind of following up on that last thing, I remember one time the CEO came down to my office and, and said that he wished his coach didn't have such a good memory either because <laughs> she's getting him to do things that he wished that uh, he didn't have to do, but he knows is good for him. And so, you know, it, it just is just one of those things that everybody – uh, is in a certain place in their life. Some people, you know, run you know, marathons, and some people are sprinters, and some people are couch potatoes. And and you know, the good coaches, from what I could see, they always accept people for where they are. They never assume they should be somewhere they're not. They just accept them for where they are. Then they just say, okay, how can we move you from one to one A? We're not even talking about two yet. We're just talking about one A. Then we'll get to one B. And we'll t- we'll take these little baby steps, and we'll just we'll just change one little thing at a time. And what we want to do is is make sure that you're at least thinking about it. And you know that that's so key because nobody wants to go from sitting on the couch watching or binging on Netflix to running a 5K next week. It's just not going to happen. But if I can at least get somebody who's watching you know 10 episodes of Dexter on Netflix <laughs> to just watching five and getting up and walking around the block after that. That's good. That's progress. And the coaches that are good, they see tremendous victory in just that. They're perfectly happy with an employee if doing nothing else but making a little bit of progress. And and um, I think that that's really the key element. I mean, it's don't ever impose your own personal judgment on somebody's behavior. Just 
find out what their judgment is of their own behavior and see how they can move their own needle in a way that is meaningful to them and then let them focus on that and then reward them for that with your praise when they do it and if they don't you know it's okay it's okay and not everybody's going to change every time but uh, you just keep you just keep plugging away and uh, pretty soon you're get you may have I don't know how what a typical client load is for a coach, 50 clients or 100 clients or whatever. I don't know what it might be. But if I have, let's say, 100 and I can make a difference in 20, then I would think that would be success and because you've made a difference in 20 lives that wouldn't, wouldn't otherwise have been made absent your involvement. And I, that's pretty impressive because those people are going to – you never know what they're going to do. And maybe 20 of the other of the other 80 – they may see what you did for those twenty, and they may catch on. And it's just a it's a long term game, and you you can't you just can't give up. And and um, it's I admire everybody who's willing to stick that out because it it's a game of patience. It's a game of of, of fortitude, and it takes a lot of detail. You got to take good notes, and whatever system you have, you got to make sure you you're doing it right. But it can make a real difference in people's lives, and and um, I'm sold. So many nuggets in there, folks. You're going to want to listen to this one a few times through. Steve, thank you again. Very much appreciated. I think this is going to be another one of folks' favorites. I I did want to highlight a couple of items that Steve mentioned because this is a, a pretty unique episode, getting to hear from an employer, thousands of employees, and what he sees as the key aspects of wellness as a whole, but also what we're doing as wellness coaches. So just a few things that I jotted down as I was listening to it again. First thing he mentioned, and again, think of where he's coming from. He said that the core aspect of any effective wellness program is the coaching. Yeah, the other things matter. He talked about the dimensions of wellness and and what a nice tool that can be. But without the coaching, you don't get the movement that you want. He did remind us that you got to show that. You've got to demonstrate the ROI, the VOI. And by the way, we've got some tools on our website that may help you with that. But keep that in mind as you're considering whether this is a route you want to go as a coach. The second thing he mentioned, I touched on this a couple times as well, is the importance of if you're going to be coaching, and especially if you're going to be working with clients in an employee setting versus independent coach setting, you probably need to get the sense of what it's like to be coached. Now, those of you who have been through either the Catalyst Coaching Institute certification or one of the other programs that has led to the ICHWC national exam, you know that's already a requirement. So you get that. You're you're probably nodding your head and going, yep, done that, check. For those of you who aren't sure, didn't know quite what he was talking about with that and what your options might be, With any credible certification program, you're going to be required to get that coaching practice in. So a positive comment by him there, but just a a note for those who are thinking about it and don't know where they're going to get that practice coaching, you'll get it. That'll be part of what you're going through. And then the last thing I want to mention that he brought up, and he didn't say this outright, but it was suggested kind of beneath the surface, and that is don't be intimidated as a coach by the person you're coaching. It's so easy for that to happen. You look up the name of the person you're coaching if you're working in an employee, employer type setting, and you see chief HR officer. 
or chief operating officer, or the example he gave the CEO. But did you hear what that CEO said? Did you hear what Steve said about his own experience? It made an impact. It helped him move in a positive direction, even though he knew what to do. It helped him move in a positive direction. So people are people. We all have areas that we can grow, every single one of us, toward becoming a better version of who we are. Don't let that position affect you. So again, thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, we really appreciate it. If you can give us a, a good rating there on iTunes, and certainly we'd love a review as well. I noticed we've had a few of those pop up recently. And please spread the word. There are a lot of podcasts out there. Our goal with this one is very simple. We want to help you as a wellness coach or a future health and wellness coach to be the very best version of that coach, of you as a coach that you can possibly be. So we'll continue to grow this. We'll continue to add to the episodes, and we appreciate you spreading the word. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast.